probably fall in love with Joseph's personality as quickly as I did because you can just feel his kindness, his brilliance, his creative way of speaking. And you can tell that this man has done his own inner work. So I really hope that you guys enjoy this conversation that I had with my very dear friend, Joseph Mojo McCarthy. I will give you a heads up that the sound quality is not great, but you can tell what we're saying. It's not hard to listen to, but I like to deliver a clear, clearer product to you guys. However, when you're recording on other platforms, sometimes it doesn't turn out as clear as we would like. So thank you so much for being here, everybody. And if this book is something that you're interested in, you will be able to find the purchase link in the show notes. But the easy way is just to jump over to Amazon, type in The Recovering People Pleaser by Kristen Brown, and it'll pop right up. Once again, I thank you so much for being here, and I truly hope you enjoyed this conversation. All right, so to, to launch this properly, I yes. am Joseph Mojo McCarthy. I'm here with the international best-selling author, Kristen Brown, who released her book just recently on Amazon, I found the 11th, The Recovering People Pleaser, A Spiritual Guide to Reclaim Your True Worth, which is fantastic. And uh, Kristen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Mojo. I so appreciate this offer. You knew I love talking to you every single time, so this is really an honor for me to have this conversation with you regarding the launch of my book. That's right. This yeah. is a win-win, right? Because we get to continue our conversations, which have been going on now for quite a while on wisdom and then back channel. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I consider you much more than just a, a wisdomer, but you're a, a friend, a true friend. And I just want to thank you for uh, all the time, the energy, the effort, and the love that you have poured into the world and specifically into my heart. Thank you, Joseph. You know, I felt like I got that all returned to me on launch day. It was like the love that came at me was, I don't want to say overwhelming in a negative way. It was just, it was like, wow, it's, it was amazing. It was absolutely incredible. Thank you so much. You've been such a support to me. Well, for those who may not know, this is Kristen's second book. Tell us a little bit about your first book and then uh, what, what prompted you to write book number two. Okay, so my first book I wrote right after what I call the, my College of Kristen, which means a time when I took two years off of romantic relationships to remain single and celibate until I could figure out why the belief I kept attracting people who did not honor and respect me, that did not value me as a awesome partner because I knew that. I knew I was a good person. I knew I wasn't a liar. I wasn't a cheater. I didn't have any weird habits or addictions or spend a lot of money or was messy like I was all the things and I didn't understand why I kept attracting people that did not value me weren't happy and took me for granted and so after what I call my tsunami which happened in 2009 and 10 of we were my former second husband decided to abandon the family which virtually left me and the children homeless the full story is in my book and that that's what cracked me open and I just hit bottom and I was like on my knees talking to God I was like you've got to help me I don't know what to do here I really don't know what's happening and I didn't and I was so innocent and that's something that I stress a lot in this book Mojo is that the, the current book is that we're really innocent we don't really know what's going on you know we're just these teeny tiny baby humans making trying to make it through life and figure stuff out so after my my what I call the College of Kristen because it ended up being about two years or so till you know till I had it decided actually made the conscious decision to have another romantic relationship. 
I was on fire to share with the world what I had learned because I realized something had incredibly shifted inside of me. And I remember the day that that actually happened when I didn't respond or react the way I typically would have on my autopilot with a certain situation. And I literally stopped me and I said, oh my gosh, what's changed? Something has changed inside of me. And that's when I realized that, wow, I had healed my worthiness. Like I no longer felt any sort of desperation or neediness. And I say those words loosely too, guys, because desperation and neediness doesn't mean we're stalking people. It doesn't mean we're blowing up people's phone all the time. It doesn't mean that we're, you know, a stage five clinger. It can just be this hidden energy that's inside us that drives our behavior. So it's really important to know that, you know, we need to normalize the words needy and desperate because um, a lot of times people think they're just such terrible words and there's so many of us like the world is needy and desperate right we're walking around we're all needing to feel love so to cut to the chase there after i went through my healing journey i was like i was on fire i wanted to shout from the rooftops you don't have to suffer anymore that there is a way that we can get out of this and in a side note i also want to say that we don't even know we're suffering because it feels so normal it feels Mm -hmm. so commonplace that we don't even know we're suffering and that's when my first book came out which is from doormat to sweet empowerment, a spiritual guide reclaim to to reclaiming your personal power in relationships in life. And this is very different book. My husband asked me the other day, is it how different is it from from my new book? And I said, you know what? I opened it the other day, and I was reading a little bit. And my heart filled with love, like it was my first, you know, like your first boyfriend or your your first pet or you know something. I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much goodness in this book too. But that's when I wrote that one. It took me quite a while to write because I was still cultivating my language. I hadn't really know, I didn't really know what had shifted inside of me. I just knew something did. And I was trying to put all these feelings into words because I did not have a coach. I did not read a book. I didn't have anybody telling me, oh, it's your unworthiness or your shame or you're this or you're that that you need to heal. So I was looking inside of myself and trying to put words to these feelings. And then did you ask me when the, how the second one came about? Or was that just the question? I, I talked a lot. so No, <laughs> that's remember. good. Uh, that's a really good, great context. I appreciate that language because that uh, helps people understand kind of the journey that you've been on pers- personally and how that has uh, birthed these books. And so um, then talk about the transition then from where you were when you wrote that first book to who you have become and are continuing to become uh, that has set up your desire to to write this second book, the sequel. Okay. The journey. Well, after those two years, I was in a place of peace. I was in a place of calm. I was in a place of, like, I didn't care if I had another partner ever. Like, it was not, it still was kind of a desire. Like, oh, yeah, like, you know, maybe someday you'd like to own this type of car. Or maybe someday you're, you know, like to have, go to London. You know, it was a desire that was out there, but it wasn't, there was no more neediness attached to it. So I still had the desire, but I was so peaceful and so happy. And as time went on, because this first book was going to be titled The Recovering Doormat. That was my working title. And people really loved that title. And when I changed it, they were like, why did you change it? And this is very strange because I was sitting on the back patio of my mom's house, at my mom's house, because we were living there at this point. I was sitting on the back patio and just it came over me, change the title. And it wasn't a scary change the title, your title sucks. It wasn't like that. It was change, just change the title. It's like, okay. So I started to think about titles and I changed it to this. And then afterwards, 
I know I knew why because the recovering people pleaser like it hits mm -hmm. it hits and people just see this title and they're like I need that yeah. so I can see why God was saying you need this first book this is amazing Kristen but if you do the recovering doormat you may not be able to have the recovering people pleaser because that would be kind of weird so now I see all these years later and that's why we just got to let go so what prompted this second book is I knew I had a second book I knew I had a second book in me I, I knew it was there. I was ready for this second book, and but I didn't know when, and I didn't know what. And I'd even made outlines of other books along the way. But January of 2022, I just woke up one day. Literally, it was like this fast. I looked at my husband. I go, I'm ready to write my next book. He goes, yay, honey, good for you. And I said, yeah, and it's going to be called The Recovering People Pleaser. Like it just, it fell into place. So I started to write an outline. And I took my time. I said, I'm not going to rush through this and everything. So I just took my time and wrote my outline. And then it just flew out of me in six months. Wow. Flew out of you in six months. It took you how long to write the first? Uh, probably about three years. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so that's really, I think that's a sign, as you have said in your own words, of not, not, not it coming from you as much as it's coming through you. And I know that that's a really interesting dynamic because it's a combination. It is your experience. It's your understanding. It's your words, but you're feeling, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that, that sense of spirit working in you, through you, with you. Yes? Well, you know, Joseph, you know me well enough now from the Wisdom app. <laughs> that you, you do know that's exactly what happened. And no, of you're course. not putting words in my mouth because you know me pretty well. But yeah. This was just a flowing thing. In fact, I talk about this a lot. I've said this many times that there was one chapter that I had my headline. I'm like, okay, I wrote the chapter title, which I always did on the top of the page. And I'm typing away, do, 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 typing, 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 flow, 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 stream, stream, stream. And then about four or five pages of type, typewriting in, I said, what am I, what the heck is this? And I started reading it. I was like, dang it, this is not the, um, you know what, Mojo? I, uh, Daryl gave me a short, a short oh. URL. Let me tell it yeah, to you real quick. Can you type it in? Sorry, yeah, you guys, everybody hold certainly. on. HTTPS colon. HTTPS colon slash slash. Yep. Uh, eight, um, go, go dot H T H T slash book slash book. Yeah. That's HTTPS colon slash slash go dot H T slash book. Yeah, so anybody's looking for that, our dear friend Daryl here on the Wisdom app gave me that really easy URL. Joseph was typing in um, the URL here, and which was so sweet of you. And I want to say hello to all my YouTube buddies because uh, they're so loyal and amazing and just beautiful, beautiful women that come together over there. And guys, too. I don't want to just say that. Right now it's my girls in here, but there's lots of gentlemen. So... And I'm one uh, of those, just so everybody yeah. knows. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph and I bonded over the topic of worthiness, by the way, you guys. We just yes, would we say that. It was about a year ago. So I just started writing this book, and this whole other chapter came out of me. And I looked, well, I backed up from the screen. I go, what am I writing? I was a little flustered. I was a little like, Pah. And I looked at it, and I went, oh, this is another chapter. This is a completely different chapter. And so I was open to that because... It made sense, and I put that chapter in my book and just plopped it in, in the order, by the way, you guys. I, I put this, everything in here is in the order that I wrote it. Because my first book, I was like, which chapter should be, you know, 
this one just went it just went it was amazing and there's a cadence to it you guys will see when you read it it has this build up to pre healing to healing to what happens post healing like how to handle post healing so yeah that's fantastic so for those who uh, maybe don't have any idea what the book's about, if you were to give like a 30-second elevator pitch or a one-minute elevator pitch when someone said, tell me about this book you read or you wrote, I haven't read it yet, what's the, the big picture view from Kristen Brown? The big picture is healing our inner world to attract and create an improved outer world. Mm. Everything we do comes from the inside. Yeah, we get that backwards all the time, right? Yes, we will get it back to us. It's a mirror. Our, one of the chapters is called Relationships are Mirrors, and they will reflect back to us what we have going on inside of ourselves. And it's a beautiful design because now, you know, based on the love and support that I got on Tuesday that I was telling you about, I had so much love and support coming out with just stellar, amazing individuals that truly love and honor and respect me like I've never had before. I was so blown away because it is true testament to the work I'd done. Because this, I would not have had that launch experience, just even with my friends and family and loved ones and my, my you know, people on Wisdom, whatever, 10, 15 years ago. It would not have been that experience. Like this is truly, it was truly, it's like I was in awe of the people I have in my life now. Yeah, that, so that, like you said, that takes what you've said, it takes it from theory to practice. First you experience it, and then you see that reflection, what you said, as your inner world was healing and changing and growing and blossoming. That's the type of people now that are in your life and are reflecting back to you the, yeah. the beautiful, true value that you bring to the relationships as well. It, and more. I mean, I'm doing prayer hands right now. I'd be on the ground with my forehead on the ground in complete humility because it's, it is beyond my wildest dreams. The, hey, Matthew the amount of the, what I thought would happen in my life, to be honest with you. I was just trying to figure out how to have a, how to have a good boyfriend. <laughs> I was just yeah. figuring out how to have peace in my relationships. And what I have noticed, you guys, is that it completely, when you heal your inner world, it's not just your relationships, that your romantic relationships that change, your relationship with your children, your parents, your friends, your colleagues. I mean, your energy attracts to you. And when you shift that energy, you raise that vibration to a level of I'm valuable and I matter and I'm worthy. And it's not false. This is from the true healing work. You know this, Joseph. Yes. When you raise your vibrational energy, the universe will meet you at that new energy. And it's, it is like mind-blowing, literally. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, one of the things you've talked about at length, uh, both in your book and in the conversations we've had on Wisdom and Offline, uh, is how... Is this divine combination of you coming to a place where you realized the, the common denominator in these issues, in these relationships is you, yeah. as hard as that might have been to hear or to accept. But at that point, when you realize I, I, something's got to change, I, I don't want to continue this pattern anymore. And combined with your childlike faith to say, God, I need your help. I don't know what to do. And then that began this healing process, as I understand it, which has not only um, changed who you've become, but it it's continued this uh, really wonderful blossoming of who you are, the self-healing, the self-love, in conjunction with 
your dynamic, uh, personal and transformative relationship with God, spirit, the universe, however people want to identify the source of creation. Right. Gosh. So let me back up to common denominator because that's a really good point. And then I want to go forth. Back when I was still with my second husband, who I call my tsunami ex, that's just what I call him, and we have a workable relationship now, which people might find shocking when they read this book, right? It's it's completely workable, and this is, again, a testament to the healing work, because that's another story. But at some point, one of our last arguments, he had said to me, because of course I was trying to talk to him about all these crappy behaviors that were not healthy for a relationship, and he wanted to turn it around on me. And he, he very scornfully said to me, you're going to have two divorces now. You're the common denominator. And I remember he said that to hurt me. And I just, I just fluffed it off like the rantings of a, a narcissist, you know, an abuser. I was like, whatever. However, as time went on, moved into my mom's house. We're now divorced. And I'm now embarking upon this College of Kristen. That word, because I did say, God help me. The first thing that came into my head was you're the common denominator. I, and I did, this was, I believe this was from spirit. And I went, because I hadn't thought about those words in a year and a half or something. And I said to myself, is this true? I, well, I, how could I not be the common denominator? I'm the one solid variable in each of these relationships. I am the common denominator. And Joseph, it wasn't hard for me to admit because I had hit that place of complete openness I didn't care. I just wanted to know. If you told me I need to twirl around three times under a full moon holding an orange, I would have done it, right, if it was capital T truth. So me owning that, I said, yes, I'm the common denominator. And then I said, okay, what? how have you been treated? I think, did I already say that in this talk? Yeah, how have you been treated? It's all, I, good. all good. Yeah, and I said, you know, I discovered the ways that they were treating me was a reflection of the way I was treating me. So that was the first part, but I will tell you this. I've always had a relationship with what I'm very, very comfortable calling God, God, but I also love universe and source and, and spirit. And I mean, I love so many names for this because I believe it is unnameable, yes. right? It's all love. It's all energy. It's not a man on a throne with a beard. Right. And I've always had a, a great relationship with God. But I didn't, in my first book, I talk about this. I said I was about to find, I said I knew God was all good, all love, all powerful, but I was about to find out how loving and powerful God really was. So when I let go and I surrendered into that process, the it, there's just this openness is all I can say. I was in that place of receiving. And I will tell you this, that my healing work happened through God. That's how it happened. And when I say through God, I'm not talking religion. I'm talking through spiritual messages that I felt the truth of. Like I could feel, taste the truth of that. And I said, that's true. And I started applying it to my life. And that's why I call my book a spiritual guide. Because I do talk about, this is not about scriptures and things like that. This is truly about our connection to source. And it's not all about that. It's just I called it that because I talk about God in it here and there. Right. But it's truly about our connection with source. It's returning back to that unconditional love that we actually are that got mud all over. My new favorite metaphor, Joe, or it could be a simile, depends how I say it. But we (laughs) are all this is a metaphor. We are all, let's say, a Ferrari. I personally like Bentleys, but people don't relate to that so much. We're all like these beautiful, gorgeous, brand new Ferraris. Right. But we have all this mud. You know, it's worthy and it's 
worth so much, but it's got, we've got all this mud on top of us. And when we have all that mud on top of us, people can't see the worth that's underneath. But when we start clearing out that mud, we know what we are. We start clearing out that mud. That's when we truly reveal our true worth, our true nature. Mm. I love that metaphor. You know, I'm a good metaphor guy. So that's so beautiful because the, the value of the Ferrari, for instance, is not devalued by the fact that it has mud on it, yes. but, but it appears to be, right? So really you're, what you're talking about is changing the appearance of what actually is by removing the filters, the crap, the layers of uh, misperception. Yeah. And you talk a lot about lower T-truth, lower t- between capital T-truth, capital mm-hmm. T-truth being it does, mm-hmm. doesn't matter what I think or what I think feel about it it is what it is the lower t truth being my perception and my perspective so dig into that because i just love how you how you talk about that yes okay so capital t truth to me is truth that it's universal truth it can never be changed it is the highest possible energetic truth and it is always true it's it's unchangeable so that is truth uh, truth of the universe of source the spirit of god of love whatever you want to call it Lower T truth, when people say, well, that's my truth. What that means is that's your opinion, that's your thought, that is your truth in this moment. But your truth, you know, my truth has changed many, many times over the years as I've gotten new perceptions and I've taken in new information and I've grown and shifted. But the capital T truth of God is unchangeable. It never changed. And Joseph, we all have truth, de- capital T truth detectors inside of us. That's yes. the resonant or the ringing true that we feel, which is just brilliant. So we'll hear when something like that hits. And I believe that's what, like my, my followers here on YouTube, they feel that with me. And they're like, wow, that hit, that hit. And I'm like, okay, don't believe me. I'm not your guru. You believe your source inside because it may come from me. It could come from Newt Mojo. It could come from a book, could come from a televangelist. It could come from anything. But when we take that in, we will start to heal. We can't not. We can't not because we are returning to who we are. Yes. Yeah. And the way to who we were created. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, uh, a Ferrari only has a certain amount of value, no matter how nice it is. Uh, we, of course, as human beings, have infinite greater value. But that the mud, the metaphorical mud that we put in our minds, put over our eyes, the way we see ourselves, the way we see others. So I, I was thinking about how. I could look in the mirror, I'm looking at myself, but depending on how much mud I've been covered with because of my own shame, my own trauma, my own broken belief system, it feels true to me, but that's that small T truth you're talking about because I'm seeing through through the filters, I'm not seeing clearly. Yes. And, and this process you're talking about is wiping away all the crud that distorts our view so that we can see ourselves and our source more clearly than we ever have. Yes. I mean, the I, people have asked me, well, you and I have even talked about this. What's on the other side of this healing? Now, by the way, the shame and unworthiness healing is a chunk of healing, but I do believe we're always, you know, continuing to peel off layers and pieces and parts, and we, and we may adopt new self-doubts about new things that come up. I mean, there's, you know, we're, it's a fluid life, right? It's, it's always Absolutely. moving. But there's yes. this chunk of healing that we can have, that we can have based on, the programming that we received in our youth, right? And it's not necessarily from parents, you guys. It can be from society. It can be from um, organized religions that are fear-based. It could be from your neighborhood kids. 
It could be, you know, telling you something, you know, making fun of your flat chest or your big feet or your, um, you know, whatever it could be about you that they're making fun of. It, it can come from us from a lot of places and that programming takes root and that's what we start. We start to believe that we're not enough or we're too much and we start to, to really dim our light and then we try to morph into something. Let's say all of a sudden we're walking along one day and somebody thinks we're funny. We're like, okay, I got attention, a hit of approval because I was funny. So now I'm going to don the mask of funny girl so that I can get more of that approval. And then we're this fractured version of ourselves wearing all these different masks, trying to get the love approval and acceptance. So what happens is when we start to heal this, wait, now I forgot the original question because I'm blabbing Joe. What was it? Just keep going, go with the flow. You're on <laughs> a, a good roll here. I love it. So, okay. So what happens is, is that we take in these messages, they program inside of us, and we can we can delete or heal a large chunk of that, but there might be more that comes along. But what happens on the other side of this is what we've so, tried so many times for talking to people who have gone through this type of work on wisdom, Joseph and I have, of what it feels like. And you can help me with this, Joseph. The best we've come up with is freedom. There's freedom because you yeah. just stop obsessing about everybody. You stop obsessing what people think. You, not that I don't care still what people think, but it's not an obsession. It doesn't run my life. So there's freedom and there's peace. There's a yes. lot of peace with this healing as well. Yeah. So that's what I was going to say is that on the other side of this, it's, it's undescribable because people might be like, I don't even know what that is. <clears throat> I don't even know what that feels like. It just know if you feel like you're suffering and you're in pain, You've got some things to clean up in your inner world, and it, it will absolutely change your life. And another thing I love about that metaphor from my own experience as well is about the mud on the Ferrari is that oftentimes I found my own experience, and I've heard you talk about this as well, that when there is the shame and the trauma and the pain, rather than approach it and discover what's going on and, and heal, go towards the healing, I found I would hide it, right? I would keep it quiet. I didn't want anybody to know that might've been a fear of judgment or it might've been a misunderstanding about what's going on or taking on the blame, whatever those reasons are, which psychology and, and therapy has been very helpful as well as spiritual healing myself. Um, but as you talked about, it was really a matter of exposing the, the pain, the sources of pain and to, for me to be able to understand it and, until until I talked about it with people who have been through it, like you, with others who have tools to help people understand what's going on, until I brought it out in the open, which fits that metaphor, getting the mud off of the Ferrari so that it can be seen for who I, so that I can see myself for who I truly yeah. am, seeing the beauty that's deep down inside, and that all of that, uh, the fear that I had and the judgments and the shame that was the mud that was covering over my own understanding, my true worth and the freedom and peace you talked about. Absolutely. So we, we actually make this just brilliant shift from focusing on the outside world to give us our worth to focusing on ourselves to give us our worth. So where before we used to, I was going to say whore for approval, but there's another word for that, um, hustle for approval. Before we'd, we'd hustle for approval out in the world because we need to get your love, acceptance, and validation and attention, all these things from out here, which, right. by the way, are just like real quick hits and they fly in our worthiness cup and out the bottom. 
But when we start to give ourselves love, approval, acceptance into our inner world, that's when our worthiness cup starts to fill. And this was what was shocking to me because I did not know what I was healing when I was applying certain things to myself. It was on the other side of the healing that I went, oh my gosh, I healed my self-worth. And the second thing is, is I did it through self-love. Yeah, that's when the whole thing kind of came together for me. I was like, okay, this makes sense now. Who knew? Yeah. So, and again, <laughs> I, I, I love your overlay of self-healing and self-love with that connection to your source, to God, and how that's all interweaved. And I, I hear people, you know, I'm tuned into these conversations often, and I hear people separate the two. And I, I, I think, for me anyway, my interpretation, my experience has been, when it's uh, inter, what's the right word? Um, interdependent. This interdependence on God, right, uh, on our source of of the capital T truth, so that it's not complete utter dependence where I don't have any say, I don't have any will, but it's also not all me, where I have separated myself from the God who loves me and you know has created me to be this uh, invaluable Ferrari, to use the metaphor. Uh, but is that interconnectedness, I love that word connectedness, because it's in the connectedness and the relationship that I become more integrated and interconnected with who I truly am and where I've come from and where the value, the worth of who I am comes from. Yes, yes. And you always say whose I am. Yeah, that's okay, right. Okay, so there's two things that happened along my journey. One was that I started to trust God even more than ever. So where I was functioning through life a large part of the time, not connecting in, knew God was there, knew the energy, whatever, all the things, trusted my intuition as it was coming up, I didn't lean in like I do now. But having gone through that experience, it taught me something so important. It taught me that God's with me all the time. Not It's 24-7, 365. 24 7 365 this is not sometimes it's god's not off nights and weekends and i can connect all the time so that was one thing that came from this in a big way is that i know now that anything i process through my higher self which is my connection to source it always leads me more easily than if i'm trying to do it myself but this is where co-creation comes in Right, which you, I think you're calling the interdependence, is we get to co-create with God, okay? Because the the wants, the desires, those type of things are of the human because our God self has no wants and desires. So as a human, we, you know, as as a spirit that comes into an earth suit, into a human body, we, we have this mind now and we have personalities, we have DNA, we have all these things that we did not have before coming here which is going to make us have desires. Well, when we have these type of desires and we have God that can help us with these desires, when we meld the two and truly trust the source of God to to guide us through, those desires can't help but come. And I don't want to give away too much about this book, but I talked about how it leads up to where you were, then through the healing and then where you're going. Yeah. I'm just Let's just say this. What I just talked about is in the last chapter, because this is where we truly go, okay, now I know my worth. 
and this is what I want to experience. That's when we call that to us. Mm. No one's exempt. No one's exempt. That's so true. And I love the word that uh, you used in your title, recovering, so that it just reinforces the fact that it's not a one and done. It's not an arrival. It is a process of becoming. Of uh, That's the recovering process. For those who are just tuning in, we're about 30 minutes into this interview, and I'm talking with author, international, best-selling author, Kristen Brown. Number one best-selling number, author. You're number one. You're number one. <laughs> I'm still like, what? How awesome yeah. is that? Yeah, who released her second book here on Amazon on April 11th? And for those that have not tuned in or don't know already, it's called The Recovering People Pleaser, A Spiritual Guide to Reclaim Your True Worth. I love all of those words and how they've worked together to, to help people understand what the book is about. Um, I would like because I was in, sort of involved in the process uh, back in July, you're in the middle of your book or towards the end actually. And uh, I get this interesting text, 911 help send out the prayer team because the book has disappeared. So tell people what happened back on that, that fateful and miraculous night in July. Oh my gosh, this is, this is amazing. So I was working at my computer, actually the same one I'm sitting at right here. And I always just saved my book, you know, word document to my desktop never had a problem, never had an issue, nothing. And I'm not super techie techie. And I think, I don't know if I went away and came back, but I went to open it and it had something at the time, like 174 pages. And it said 112 pages. And I was like, what? And so I opened it. I was like scrolling through. I'm like, it's really just 112 pages. I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. Is this another thing I had saved? What is this? Blah, blah, blah. As I searched my desktop, everything throughout, my husband came in, he was looking at stuff, and I'm just like, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. And I just, I left the room, and I went downstairs. I was absolutely panicking, and I was like, I cannot believe this. I have put so much, and I sent a 911 out to Joseph and our other friend, D. Grant Smith. I was like, oh, my God, brothers, you gotta, you got to come together and put, throw some energy my way because I, I lost my book. Something's gone. Anyway, long story short, when I started to return back upstairs, as I was walking up the stairs, first I was saying, it's going to be there, it's going to be there, it'll be there, it'll be there. But then I also said, but if it's not, I'm not rewriting it. And I, I absolutely, in my essence, my energy, I let go. Hmm. I just let go. I'm like, okay, this is a thing because I've learned that I can't fight reality. But I also learned that I could not create the same book that I had created. Sure. You know, and I didn't want a different book. I didn't want a different version of this book. So I went back upstairs. I sat in this chair that I'm sitting in right now. I was facing this direction. A text came in. I looked at it. It was you. And you said something lovely. I don't know what you said. And then I turned around here. I clicked on the thing and my book was back. Or I might have clicked the book back. I don't remember exactly how it happened, but it was really in real time. And the whole thing was there, and my husband was like, you got to get it on, I don't know where it is, but one of those little sticks, you got to get on a stick, you're saving it here, you're saving it there. So, oh my, we called it, what, he called it the Holy Grail save. <laughs> exactly. So, but the most important thing for that, Joseph, to me, since you and I talk so much spirituality, was I, that was so purposeful. Because I was attached to this book, and I'm just going to call it an unhealthy way. There's only another way, meaning, oh, this book is going to do this, this book is going to do that. And I had, 
I had an attachment to it and, and that is the wrong energy. That's the absolute wrong energy to put into the world. And in that moment, this large part of me said, this is not of ego. This is not to get you something. This is not to win you something. This is, you're putting a work of love into the world. Remember that sister. Mm. So then it, the publishing journey was interesting. Nothing to do with my publisher, but there was something happening with the, every time we transferred a document back and forth, stuff would change. So it was, it was arduous and long and, and whatever. But I kept looking at my husband and I kept saying, I don't know what's going on here, but this is supposed to happen. This is purposeful. And in that process too, what, what was happening for me is I let more, you know, really excited at first because, you know, in July and it's going to be, you know, published in November and then I almost lost it. Huge chunk of me let go. And then November came and it didn't get published. And then it just more and more, I just let go and let go and let go and let go to the point where I was like, yeah, if I sell one copy, we're good. And it turned into an internet, international number one bestseller. It was in a matter of hours. Yeah. Just mind blowing. You know, uh, that reminds me, Kristen, I was listening to Neil Donald Walsh on Clubhouse. He's the author of Conversations with God. And I actually jumped up and asked him a couple of questions on that stage. But one lady in the room was talking about some book that she had published and how frustrating it was that it wasn't being distributed to all the places where it would really help. And Neil Donald Walsh's response, uh, which really fits what you're talking about here, he says, your, your gift, your job was to create the book. What happens to the book from there, that, that's not your business, right? That's you trying to force something that, that that's not, you're, you're the author. You, God gave you the words, you put it down, you did all the work that required for a book to be published. What happens from there, that's not your business, right? I mean, some people try to make it their business, but that's when you're attached to dollars, you're attached to sales, you're attached to something, you're attached to outcomes. And I just love how your own process of writing the book, of releasing the book, and even what would happen when it released, uh, you had already gotten to the place where that, that's out of my hands. Whether it's one sale or a million, it doesn't really, that doesn't change the fact that I have done my job and my job is to birth and to release the words that were within me and the, and the journey that I've been through for the benefit of whomever, right, may benefit. Yep. I love talking to you. And this is one of the reasons why, because you spur so many cool thoughts and ideas to bring to the table. And I wrote down right here while we were talking force outcomes. And that's what recovering people pleasers actually try to do. Yeah. We try to force outcomes in relationships. So the same way I was thinking I was going to force an outcome with my book, it's just, again, the ego trying to control, trying to make, you know, it thinks it knows everything and it doesn't. So I, it, part of being a good manifester, I would say, is the opposite of forcing outcomes. It's letting go of the, it's letting go of the how. And as a, so then I'm going to switch this over to recovering people pleasing now. So as a recovering or as a people pleaser, what we're doing is we're trying to shift and morph and chain and chameleon, wear all these masks to try to force an outcome. Right. That's really what we're trying to do. And I love this metaphor a lot or a simile or whatever it is. But when we're in the pool, I've told you this many times and we're trying to get that red beach ball and we're pounding our way to that beach ball because we got to get it. It's just pushing it further and further and further away from us. But when we relax, 
and we let go and we are joyful with or without the beach balls when the beach ball is going to come and bounce into us. So what happens in the healing of this book that I absolutely know if people accept the mission to learn and to practice what resonates with them as capital T truth in this book, they're going to see a different outcome in their life. And what, what I have noticed is that I didn't force outcomes anymore. When I met my current husband, I love to tell this story. We we're just, you know, we were barely knew each other in high school. He friended me on Facebook. And I was not this sh um, shape shifter, I guess. So if he said, Oh, you want to get together? Like the very first time I was washing my car. And he said, Oh, I can stop by and see you washing your car. I was like, Nope, nope, I'm washing my car by myself. Thank you. Old Kristen would have been like, Oh, there may not be another opportunity. I should say yes to this. See, I would have, but the love of me, the peace in me, the non-forcing, the non-neediness, the non-desperation said, no, this doesn't work for me. But I will, how about, you know, or he goes, well, we're going out tonight. You want to meet us? And I said, sure. What time? He said, five. I said, I can't get there by five. I could probably couldn't even get there till seven. He goes, we will wait for you. So see what I'm saying is that I was just so... By doing this work into myself, it naturally and organically changed the way I was showing up in relationships. This was not me doing dating 101 rule book, wait three days, call like this, do this, do that. <laughs> there wasn't any of that happening. It was just, nope, that doesn't work for me, but this does. I was honoring myself for the first time. Where I've done that before. So what were we talking about with that? That was... Um, we're just talking about the, the, um, you know, the effort that we produce yeah. is we, oh, we so often times, yeah. yeah, forcing outcomes is attaching mm -hmm. it to what, what it's going to produce on the other end. And that really takes, I use the word joy several times in this conversation, which is one of my favorite words yeah. that does steal the joy out of it. When we're, when our joy is somehow attached to outcomes, to statistics, to, uh, you know, whatever that might be dollars or numbers or whatever metrics yes right? yes and when we let go and let god when we shoot our rocket of desire out there and say this is what like i talked about in the beginning here i still have the desire to have a long-term what i call a lifer monogamous relationship i still have that desire that's always been within me but it no longer i no longer became desperate for it and i knew that it would happen at the right time, the right place with the right person. And I'd only met one person prior to my current husband. That was a five-week relationship. But I was so different in that. I was paying very close attention to him. How, you know, is this going to work? And not just, oh, do you like me? Am I cute? You know, there was none of that anymore. Like, oh, sure, I'll be there and do that. Uh-uh. There was no auditioning. There was no, it was so real and that it didn't work in five weeks. It, I figured it out that fast, rather right. than seven years later, because right. I was trying to be something that I wasn't. So this is, this is one of the byproducts of healing our hidden shame and unworthiness, is we peel off all these false fronts, all these masks, and we reveal this absolutely stunning, gorgeous, brilliant, golden, magical unicorn called you that's what comes out and then that is what will draw to you 
your ideal partner because you're not going to be afraid to be who you are. Wow. Yeah, boy, that resonates so deep inside of me. When I was uh, going through my own healing process, uh, one of the things that my counselor told me was, after many sessions, was that, Joe, you, uh, as a kid, your superpower was this ability to adapt. Any situation, no matter how much pressure it got, how difficult it was, you would morph and adapt. And she said, and that was a very helpful in your survival, in your mental health, in your ability to thrive in spite of difficult circumstances. She said, but unfortunately, what serves us as children uh, doesn't always serve us so well as adults. So now as as an employer, as a uh, husband, as a dad, continuing to shift in order to make things work, then I have lost any connection or understanding of what's my opinion? Where do I stand here? What's, you know, what value do I bring? Because that's really important in these relationships that matter, right? And so that was really an aha moment for me. And I, and I love how you talk about this is that, that what has served us at one time and helped us get through difficult times, if that becomes, if we get stuck there, then we don't ever grow beyond it and then into the who we truly are. Yeah. So many, the brain is designed to protect us and to get us through, especially in our youth, because number one, it's not fully formed. And it's, we are small and powerless to the adults and elders around us. So the brain's going to do what it has to do to get us through so that we can survive. But yet that does become our autopilot because we've practiced it for so long that our, our thoughts are grooved neurologically into that thought process. So no one's wrong. Nobody's bad. No one's flawed or broken because their brain wired a certain something in based on their environment. But yet, as grown adults, we have to say, is this working for me? Is this working for me? Is this harming or is this helping? And that's why taking radical responsibility for our life is so important. Because when I said, am I the common denominator? That was taking radical responsibility. I raised my hand high and I raised it proud. I am the common denominator. I need to figure out why I keep repeating this pattern or whatever else thing that came along my way that I had to own. And all along the journey, I did own things because somewhere way in the beginning of going into my college of Christian, somewhere in there, I was so bitter when it came to men. And I was so angry. And I was like, anybody I passed on the street, I was inside my head. I was like, you know, about that guy. Wonder what kind of jerk you are. I saw a little kid once, a little boy kid once, which by the way, you guys, I absolutely love men, honor men. I grew up with men. I have four brothers. I had a neighborhood full of boys. I'm very tomboyish. So this was very unusual for me, but I recognized it. And I said, some little kid walked by one day and I was like, yeah, what are you going to grow up to be? Probably cheat on your wife. And I was like, Kristen, that's a four-year-old. I mean, and I, and I stopped myself and this has taken that radical responsibility. I said, something's not right. Something's not right. You're not thinking like you think you're angry, you're bitter. And I recognized it because our emotions are going to be guideposts and signposts to tell us where we need to go in life. Are things working? Aren't things not working? Do I have pain? Do I not have pain? I mean, talk emotional pain, right? What is happening inside of me? But I'll tell you what I did with those thoughts. It was probably... Later that afternoon, when I had those thoughts, 
I'm driving in my car. I remember driving to the parking lot, leaving the salon I was working at. And I said, God, please show me good men. Please show me good men because I am, I am only seeing darkness right now. And it was the very next day. I'm just going to tell a story because it's so beautiful. Yeah. I had this husband and wife couple walk or come into the salon. She's had rheumatoid arthritis and she was in a little motorized cart. And they, you know, they don't go very fast. And he just walked slow next to her, smiling. It's this adorable little Jewish couple. And they became my clients long term. But the way he treated her, he treated her like she was gold. And she'd just giggle. And they're an older couple. And he'd say something like, My love, would you like that? That the, you know, can I? And she, and I, because at some point I'm like, Is this for real? Because is he putting on in front of me? But the way she giggled, she wasn't like, Ugh, like he's just trying to kiss my butt, right? right. She was like, hee, hee. Right. every time he said something like that, I was like, this is real. And then I had a father come in, it was a client of mine, who brought in his autistic son. And he's, he's, he's a very high functioning young man. But this, the way he talks about his wife, who would, had been my client for a long time, and his son and the devotion and then I was thinking about my brothers, who are all three of them that were still alive, were just the most amazing fathers and husbands. And I was like, okay, God. I was like, got you, got you. Just because this one person did something bad doesn't mean the whole lot is tainted. And that was it. But the, I did this, Joseph, because I was aware. Yeah. I was aware. And that's where, yeah, we got to be aware. Well, something really beautiful about what you just described here, and that is, paying attention, right? The awareness is a matter of what am I paying attention to? But then that also that humility in you that said, God, show me, because maybe I'm not seeing what's actually there. And I think that's such a, a beautiful combination of seeing what you didn't see before, but also asking for new eyes, new filters, right? Take take away those filters that are are uh, changing my perception of the reality. Yes. Uh, one, of the, one of the mantras of my graduate program was that you create the world that you pay attention to. And we've heard it said many times, what do you appreciate appreciates. And so that, that conscious awareness of changing your attention, looking for the good, right? Is there proof that things maybe are different than what I've always believed to be true or the patterns that I'm repeating, asking for divine help to reveal that, you know, to open your eyes to that. I just think that that is a simple and yet powerful opportunity invitation for transformation absolutely it starts with that it starts with that we have to look within because what we're always doing is pointing the finger outward and i talk about this in my book and had i stood before a judge and jury and i said this one physically abused me this one cheated on me and physically abused me that 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 and i listed that there's no jury in the world that would not consider them guilty what they did was wrong it's morally wrong it's not right yet for me to continue to focus on what they did was harming me because right. I, was, I was victimizing myself. I was pity partying. And, I, and I'm not saying that we're not victims and that people shouldn't have consequences. I'm not saying any of that stuff. I'm saying when I focused on their bad, I couldn't heal because yeah. all my energy, because we're energy, my energy was going at pointing at them, pointing at them, pointing at them. When I turned that energy towards healing me, healing me, healing me, that's when I rose, but I had to make that shift from what I was seeing. And I call that, that was my choice of victimhood or victor, victory. 
where I was literally looking at this and going, and believe me, the ego is cunning. It feels really good to point the finger and talk about about the person that did you wrong. It's some, yeah. There's some sort of satisfaction that happens inside initially. But the second feeling that happens afterwards doesn't feel good. And I was like, all right, yeah, I could sit here all day long and point at the bads and get my ego stroked and have everybody join with me. But guess what also happens? What happens when you have someone that's stuck in their same story forever and ever and ever? It gets old because we know as humans, as spirit, we know like this person's not moving on, right? So I also knew how long can I stay stuck in this? But there was something that was the most important thing of all, and that was I'm nobody's victim. I'm no one's victim. I'm going to claim victory. This person, I'm going to watch me, you know, this is like this fierceness that came, watch me. It's going to be better than you guys even thought. Like you thought you, you got me down. No, it's, I'm just getting started, you know, and it did, it went up from there. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've heard it taught that, you know, the, one of the most important journeys that any of us go through is from victimhood to radical responsibility and radical responsibility is the word that you've used. And in this one particular teaching, it was, they broke the word responsibility into two pieces, responsibility my ability to respond, oh, right? That's yeah. that. That's the growth and the power. And I love what you said. If, if I'm always blaming, even if what other people have done is wrong and is abusive and yeah. is hurtful, but I'm still putting the energy, I'm giving my energy away, right? And then I have no ability to respond because I'm expecting something else or someone else to change on the outside. So that radical responsibility that takes me out of the victim mentality is when I realize I have an ability to respond. And like you said, taking the energy that I'm giving away and turning it back in towards healing and acceptance and finding that capital T truth and listening to the still small voice inside of me and connecting with my my true self and with the one who made me, that's, that's, that's that exact opposite of blaming because I'm no longer giving away the energy. I'm saving it and I'm, I'm choosing and believing that I have the ability to respond rather than to blame. Yes, that's so beautifully said. Everything that you say, Joseph, is always music to my ears. I could just listen to you for an hour speaking. You know, part, part of the other things is, is learning to forgive. And I talked about this in both books, actually, because it is that important. But learning to forgive them because the non-forgiveness was only hurting me. It was keeping me stuck. It was keeping me in a place that was with toxic energy and I didn't want that anymore. That's the first thing. But the second thing too is that we have to learn to forgive ourselves along this journey because we, we made choices and decisions that didn't serve us, that we were dishonoring ourselves or disrespecting ourselves along the way. And that's where the shame portion comes in because then we start to cringe. We're like, oh yeah, that was me. You know, right. we're, we're cringing and we're we're embarrassed. We don't talk about those things, the things that we did that were embarrassing because we're afraid of the judgments from others. But here's what's happening is that we're really judging ourselves. We're judging ourselves so we don't tell anybody else because we don't want them to judge, to touch the judgment that we already have. So our shame stops us from healing our shame. We're, we're ashamed of what we did, but we're ashamed to tell anybody because we're going to feel even more ashamed. So the shame cycle is like this endless little loop thing. We got to get off the shame cycle. We have to be willing to stand in it and talk about it because I think Brene Brown says this and I may not get the quote, right? She said, 
Oh yeah. Shame cannot survive in empathy and compassion. Say it again. Shame cannot see it's a good one, isn't it, Joseph? I, <laughs> I saw your it. face. I saw her face, yeah. his face light up. <laughs> Shame it. cannot survive in empathy and compassion. So if we think about that, what does that mean? It means I'm so shameful, I'm hiding it. But she also goes on to say, and by the way, I did not study Brene Brown during my college of Kristen. I only heard of her later. But she she was backing up everything that I had learned organically, and I loved that. Right. And she's such a cool lady. I love her. I just think she's as darling as can be. But she said, the other thing is that we need to share our story with people, with someone who has earned the right to receive it, which means somebody who can hold that for you and not further shame you. Go, oh, my God, dude, what did you do? Like, that's terrible. Someone that goes, yeah, I get it. I've done those things too, blah, blah, blah. The minute we bring that shame to the light, it's going to start to dissipate, right? Yeah, but we totally. may have tried to say those things in the past to people, but it didn't. we weren't met correctly with it, so we didn't say anything. Right. But what I wanted to go back to and also say this is that a lot of my shameful places, I gave myself compassion and empathy first before mm -hmm. I shared it. So it doesn't mean it has to come from somebody else. It can come from you. In fact, it's more powerful, I believe, when the empathy comes from you. When you've done something that you're embarrassed about and you're like, it's okay, and you speak to that, that inner scared child that thinks they're not enough or too much and drove the behavior, and you say, it's okay, I understand why you did that. Let's, let's just try to do better next time. You're okay. Everything's okay. When I started to do that for myself, that's when I really started to shift because I started to talk to inner me, the me that was wounded, like it was a separate piece of me, even though it's not. And I looked at it as a small child or a weak adult or a pet, something that I needed to protect fiercely. And I started to treat, luckily I have children, so I knew what that, I could transfer that feeling of protectiveness and love from my children to me, to inner right. me. And yes. that's when my, my foundation completely started to, to change. It just started to shift and everything, every, my lens looked different. I call it taking a squeegee. It was like someone took a squeegee off my muddy windshield. So all of a sudden, everything looked different to me. Yeah. Yeah, so true. You know, some of us uh, can get by with a squeegee on our windshield. And some of us need the full-on power washer going through the big machine. But it, at the end, that uh, what you talk about is it's not a comparison or contrast. I don't have more worthiness or less worthiness than somebody else. Uh, more shame or less shame, as soon as I get into the comparison uh, trap, then I'm, again, I'm giving away my responsibility rather than taking it in. Yeah. And so, oh yes, we're down to one minute. So I just want to uh, repeat one more time that this week on April 11th, 2023, Kristen Brown, Kristen Brown released her second book and it became an international number one bestseller on Amazon. It is titled The Recovering People Pleaser. A spiritual guide to reclaim your true worth and, and attract is, the love you deserve and attract the love you deserve how did i leave that off because oh, it wasn't showing on amazon it's not on and amazon attract... for some reason yeah <laughs> okay and that, uh, that can be found at the uh, url here https colon slash slash go dot ht slash book and i know these conversations will continue but thank you kristen for sharing your wisdom, your truth, your brilliance with me and with the world. And congratulations. Thank you, Mojo. And I so appreciate that you were willing to have this conversation with me.
we just lost Kristen. You're welcome to come back in if you want to if you want to finish that off, Kristen. It has been a pleasure, not just this conversation, but um, getting to know you both on Wisdom app and behind the scenes, and knowing that this is not just a, a book about a theory or something that you've read or learned, but it's something that you've lived, which makes it extremely powerful. Because, um, as you say, even in the opening preface of your book, this is this is uh, about sharing your heart, and it really comes across that way. It's it's powerful. It is transformative. And even for those who may or may not see themselves as a recovering people pleaser, it's such good information to understand because there's so many of us out there, and it'll help give empathy and compassion to those who need it. I mean, to tie in what Brene Brown was saying, if shame cannot survive in empathy and compassion, then we have the opportunity to be the empathy and compassion for others who are dealing with that, and we can help them heal as well. You know, I have this quote in the book, and I say, shame and unworthiness are the true plagues on the planet. I wanted to say this one thing, shame and unworthiness, but my editor, who's a grammar Nazi, was like, no, you're saying two things. So she said the true plague. I want to say the true plague. Like, it's one thing. It's the, it is the true plague on the planet. We all somehow carry this inside of us and I feel like the more that this is being brought to light basically through a lot of the work of Brene Brown because she's so huge right she's brought this really to light and hopefully from the work of me that we can start to heal this because when we understand that we're everybody we're dealing with we're dealing with this on some level and any behavior that is not I don't even know what to call it not great not serving the highest good, not coming from someone's higher self, I promise you is coming from some hidden unhealed shame and unworthiness that's going on inside of people. So you're right, Mojo, once we can start to really recognize that this is rampant, gosh, it should be, we should have a a class in school about it or something, right? Instead of of paying taxes, we should, you know, have have some, uh, once a year we have to go to shame and unworthiness class. Well, just thought of me, you know, during the pandemic, we all covered ourselves with masks, right? Mm-hmm. And this pandemic, this epidemic you're talking about of shame and unworthiness, we cover ourselves with masks. We don't show who we truly are. And the healing process is being able to re- remove that mask in the presence of people who have empathy, who have compassion, yeah. people who have gone through it, uh, like you and I and so many others, and are still going through that process. And uh, to tie what you've talked about, and what you mentioned about Brene Brown and then what I've read and heard from Mastin Kip, who really addresses a lot of how this bubbles up from trauma that we experience in our lives. Mm-hmm. It really, it really is. So it, it cannot be understated how important it is to be aware, to allow this process to, to happen within us. And so that not only can we be healthier, but then we can invite others into that space as well, which your talks and your book are doing in a masterful way. Yeah, it's it's absolutely it's absolutely true. It's can it can come from trauma as well. It can come from it can really can come from anywhere, right? And it, and if it if it was something that didn't come from our childhood, it can come from our adulthood by things that happened. You know, there could be sure. things that happen. A, a lot of this does come from the programming from the messages we receive when our brain is not fully formed and, we, and we're coming up through the brainwave states, and the, which I, I go at length in the book, so I won't go into that now. But those messages come in, and then we call it real because it's the way we think. And right. then we, you know, yeah. So it's just this, it, it's a loop, it's a merry-go-round until we decide to step down. 
And when we decide to step down, there's ways to heal this and there's ways to rid ourselves of this. Absolutely. Yeah, you talked about earlier about the the kind of the ruts or the grooves in our brain that keep us stuck in the same pattern. And I was thinking back to the old LPs and albums uh, that I listened to growing up. And if there was a little bit of a scratch in there, you know, it would keep jumping back to the earlier part of the song. You never even got to hear the whole song playing out, right? So the needle would come and it'd go, and then it'd go back and play the last loop of the song again. And what you're talking about, what you're providing through, through your wisdom, through your talks and through your book is ways to heal those scratches in our album. And you you can tie that into neuroplasticity and creating new grooves in our brains so that we don't have to keep hitting that scratch of our trauma and our shame and our blame and going back and repeating the pattern over and over again, but to get to move on and play out the complete symphony of our lives. Yes, yes. Joe, are we still live on StreamYard too? We are. We are still live on both ends. Okay. Why don't we close down StreamYard and then then we can close down Wisdom? All right. Okay. End the broadcast here on StreamYard. Thank you for all who tuned in on Facebook, yeah. LinkedIn, and YouTube. Thank this you is Joseph Mojo McCarthy and Kristen Brown. Get the book now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Okay, we're closing down that broadcast oh, okay. online. Thank and you now so we can much. say, say uh, our farewells here on Wisdom. Okay, very good. I'm going to turn off my lights here. So I just want to say thank you again, Joseph, for how, oh, there's Cece. Now we can talk to our wisdom people, you know, because there's people coming in from all over the place on both things. But yeah, great conversation, Joseph. It's always um, so good to connect with you. I love, I just love the way you talk, the way you think, and you should have seen what I, what I wrote about you on my back channel community tab. I'm like, you guys are going to love Joseph, and here's why. Uh, it is kind of strange to do, to be looking at myself in on wisdom. So just so you guys know, this was a really this is only the second time I done this. I did it with Daryl the other night, but we have messages scrolling here from my YouTube channel while we're looking at wisdom. So I didn't get a chance to see anybody clapping. I apologize for that because it's kind of glued into the message feed. But I just want to thank everybody who came through and once again, and I mean this from my absolute full heart, is that the love and support that I've gotten from all of you and and it sounds so cheesy but now I know why people say it when they win the Oscars because you're like it blows your mind the amount of people that sometimes are behind us when it comes to any particular endeavor and you finally get some you know get a result that you were hoping for and it's like oh my god you know and all the people that were there like rawing you on behind the scenes it's, it's really I still I don't have a word for it Joe because it's not overwhelmed overwhelmed is to me a negative feeling so I don't know I don't know what it is. It's it's awe, it's awe and it's it's humbling. It's just a weird surreal. Surreal. It's, yeah. it's got to be like all those things to put together. I just want to say thank you to everybody who, honestly, from my from my deepest deepest heart. I gave a talk the other day. I couldn't even talk through. I was like, uh, the but were you listening? It was it was like the night of of launch. I really I was right. at a loss for words, and it wasn't because I was tired. I really did not know what to say. I was just blown away. So I just want to say thank you again, Joseph, for always being one of my besties and always supporting me and and offering to have this conversation with me because, you know, I could talk to you about this stuff forever. Well, the pleasure is mine. It's a true win-win as as good friendships are. And uh, another thing that just came to mind, uh, Mastin Kemp talks about those who succeed, uh, get to the pinnacle of whatever their industry is, you know, do whatever the, the things are. 
uh, the ones that are truly happy are the ones who recognize and admit freely that I didn't get here by myself. Right? This mm-hmm. is a this is a going through life together. Those another somebody said, you know, if you get to the top of the the mountain or the business or whatever, and you realize you're alone, then something went wrong along the way. And so the fact that we get wow. to do this together is so so important. It's it's part of the way we're wired. We are designed to be creatures of connection. Yeah. And so uh, you're you're doing a beautiful job, and I'm I'm so grateful just to be your friend. Thank you, Joseph. Get to Likewise. get to cheer you along. Yeah. Likewise, and you know you're going to be getting a signed copy very soon. All right. <laughs> on my table. Beautiful. I got my addresses. <laughs> I can't wait to send it out. Let's see how much I can get for for that on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> it could go back on Amazon. Is the three used? You know how they have that. I'm like, where are they right. getting these used copies? Like, oh, it's the weirdest thing because you just launched a book or so. I saw someone who just launched a book and it said something like, two used. I'm like, wait a minute. They, what, they read it in six hours and returned it? I mean, what happened with that? It was weird. Yeah. Anyway. Those people are buying them or reselling them. Who knows? Oh, okay. Yeah, who knows? Well, but, oh, could be. Yeah. 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 Well, so yeah. Though, for those who don't know, you can get uh, to Kristen's book on Amazon. You can search by her name. By the way, Kristen, I just started typing in your name in the Amazon search bar, and the whole title of your book comes up. So you know it's it's working, it's trending, because they're filling in the blanks for the, those that are searching for you, which is just phenomenal. Can I tell but, you one uh, of the most remarkable things? At some point, Daryl sent me a screen grab, and I can send it to you if you want. But sure. it, I don't. There's they. I didn't upload my book, so I, I don't know how any of this works. But there's categories they put you in, yeah. and in one of those categories, because you know. The number one category that I stayed in for like two days or something like that is cognitive neuroscience and cognitive neuropsychology, something like that. So I don't know what this other category was, but I was quite literally right next to Dr. Joe Dispenza becoming supernatural. So there was, (laughs) there was number one place, number two place, Dr. Joe was three and I was number four. And Daryl sent that to me because you're right next to Dr. And you guys all know, I talk about Dr. Joe till the cows come home. Again, he was, uh, after the fact, like Brene Brown, he started to substantiate the work I had done too, based on the neuroplasticity and and retraining your brain and stuff. So I was, just love him because, yeah, whatever, he's great. But I was like, oh my God, I was next to Dr. Joe. You know what I mean? And he's got like 77,000, I mean, it's been up there a while, so it's not probably, but anyway, the point was, it was very sweet because I do quote him a lot all the time on this app and everywhere. It was fun. Yeah, and I think that also just affirms that what you've learned from him, you've uh, incorporated you know, into your own journey because uh, you're saying many of the same things and reaching the same target audience of people who want to learn how to grow through their trauma and yeah. through their shame. So fabulous. Yeah. So fabulous. fabulous. All of it. You're fabulous. You no, are. You. You. No, you. you. No, you. <laughs> We're pointing right, so at each other. You guys can't see us. <laughs> As are all those who've tuned in. So thank you to everybody who's spent some time in this talk, those who have become our Wisdom family, those that send up the claps and who just uh, spent, sent your energy. And don't forget to check out Kristen's book. We will talk again soon, my friend. Okay. Much love. Thank you, Mojo. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, everybody.